Welcome to a very sleep-deprived 99th episode. Yeah. It's good to be back. It's good to be... <laughs> yeah, it's good to, good to be functional. <laughs> it's really what it is. So do you want, do you want to start off the episode with your news, or how do you want to start? All right, yes. I have news, Paul. And everyone out there. Oh, do tell. You know the news, Paul. <laughs> but uh, everyone out there in listener land may not know is that I, since our last recording, have become a father. You have. I have. And uh, Maximus Sean Neprude was born around the end of January. He's just over two weeks old as of this recording. And somehow I'm finding time away from our busy baby schedule to record a podcast for the first time since he was born. That's not easy, I'll tell you what. <laughs> it sure isn't. Yeah. I, I totally get that. And uh, I can attest that as of yesterday, he has a very fuzzy head. Oh, yeah, he he does. He has very, <laughs> very fluffy hair. He was born with lots of hair. He um, was on the smaller size when he was born, just a little over seven pounds. But he's a, a strong little guy. He can already kind of lift his head up and uh, wriggle around and... Uh, He's really uh, thriving, so that's it's exciting to see. That's awesome. Yeah, when once you hit this point, like so much change happens over time that it's just there's always new discovery that you'll be making, and it it doesn't stop for a long time. So you, you like you think you know things, and then they do something new, and you're just like, this is awesome. So cool. Yeah, you're in for a great journey. I know. I am. Um, I'm very excited about it. I feel very ready for this change. And so it is, aside from the lack of sleep, has been really great. What's really been interesting about the last couple of weeks is basically life has been occurring in three-hour intervals because we were feeding him about every three hours. So, and each feeding takes about an hour and um, because of some stuff about how we have to... Um, breastfeed and then pump and supplement and all this stuff like each feeding takes about an hour to get through sometimes yeah. more and so my free time comes in chunks of basically like an hour hour and a half or so <laughs> and um that's just a interesting experience it's and most of those times i end up having to do chores it's like okay time to do the dishes time to do this other thing gotta take care of this gotta take care of that so it's been a very busy and hectic schedule but i try to maybe carve out an hour or so for to do something i'd like to do whether it's a tv show or record a podcast every day yeah yeah that's awesome you guys are getting in a rhythm yeah yeah we are and we just we got to the point where we're letting them sleep a little more between feedings at night. So I got sleep in three hour chunks last night rather than two hour chunks. So that was oh, luxurious, <laughs> <laughs> but I am alive, alert, awake, enthusiastic for this. Yeah. You're much more awake than usual. Cause you know, you've actually been up for a while before recording this time. But yeah. That's mm -hmm. impressive with uh, the limited sessions of sleep that you get now. And I'm on my second cup of coffee. So <laughs> that helps too. <laughs> I'm on my second cup as well. I had my first one earlier. And uh, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about fathers? Yeah. So I thought in honor of my new status as father, we would talk about some fictional fathers. 
And what's great is when Father's Day comes, we could be lazy and just like replay this episode. There we go. Ah, hey, double whammy. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Yeah. And I thought that we could just talk about some fictional fathers that stand out to us from all of the things that we've read and what we kind of think about them or learn from them or use as cautionary tales or whatever it may be, or just kind of riff on those. So I think that fathers and fatherhood is the thing to talk about today. That sounds good. So we're, do you, ha- you said you had some uh, pre-plans. Who would you like to start with? Sure. I, well, I probably, the father that comes to mind first and foremost to me when asked about this, and I don't think that this is going to be a surprise to anybody who knows my predilections and the quote unquote thing I like most <laughs> unquote. And that is of course, Darth Vader. Oh, see, I, I thought you were going to say Cobra commander, you know, oh. <laughs> cod pieces. We had a lot of talk about that before. He's actually, kinda everybody's daddy is me. <laughs> there, there actually is a really interesting story about Cobra commander in the comics where he actually left Cobra after Serpentor came around. He kind of lost out the civil war for control of Cobra between um, him and Serpentor and he, him and Destro were presumed to be dead after they invaded the pit and it was collapsed on top of them. But after they got out, Cobra commander was basically like, you know what? I'm just going to walk away from this and go find my son because he had a son, Billy, who he basically neglected. And actually Billy was recruited to try to assassinate Cobra commander when Billy was about 10 years old without even knowing that Cobra commander was his dad. And so he then reunited with his son for a while before he, well, either regained his mind or lost his mind, depending how and how you look at it. Well, I, well, I guess part of it is he was shot and left for dead. <laughs> so that also happens. And that was done by Fred seven, I think. And then Fred eight found him, I think with the help of Raptor and they got him back to health. And then he came back with a vengeance to relead Cobra, um, sometime after Serpentor was finally killed. So that was a, it's a nice part of the nice convoluted mess that is GI Joe (laughs) comic books (laughs) from Marvel, but that's what makes it so awesome. Yeah. All right. So Darth Vader to tell us about Darth Vader and his fatherhood. Well, (laughs) well, Darth Vader is interesting because he never really acted as a father, right? He was this looming father, but he never actually fathered his children in any way. And he didn't even know that he was a father until just a couple years before he died. Uh, Because he thought that his children died when Padme died, right? When he turned to the dark side. And that, I think, was a lot of what drove him to the dark side. So he's kind of, there's kind of a, he's kind of a symbol, I think, of, of fatherhood. And because he he never really acts as a father he's just kind of this father figure that is present and there's this father relationship with his children that exists but is never acted upon in the movies and um so i i kind of think there's two interesting ways to look at it is from darth vader's perspective and also from luke's perspective because from vader's perspective 
he thought that his children died right as he turned to the dark side when Padme died. And that was a lot of the loss that fueled his final turn to the dark side and how he really, truly, I think, I think it kind of cemented his turn because he turned before that to try to save Padme. Basically, it was in desperation. He wanted to save Padme from death. And then when that was unsuccessful, I think the, the pain of that perceived failure is what really kind of drove the nail into the coffin that he was doomed to the dark side forever. And then he learns that Luke Skywalker exists and is still and is alive and that his children somehow survived. And so that is, I think then it's the beginning of that nugget of change back to the light side. So in in a way, his like the loss of his fatherhood is what cemented his turn to the dark side, but then regaining that nugget of fatherhood is what started that little fuel to change him back to the light side. And that I think is, is really, really cool because um, it, it shows how much that being a father meant to him and how powerful it was to him. You know, there, there's one moment in particular that always stands out to me in the movies from that. And that's, uh, you know, in, in Empire Strikes Back, Darth Vader's like, oh, you, you screwed up a little bit. <coughs> You're dead. Okay. Oh, yeah. And you, oh, you, you landed your troops a little too far away from the base. <coughs> uh, You're dead. Okay. He's kind of like, yeah, anyone who, <laughs> you, you brought me, <laughs> my lunch is cold. <coughs> You're dead. <laughs> you know? Just it's, firm but fair, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he's very like... uh Anyone that screws up with him, he's just like, well, I better kill them. <laughs> you know, it's kind of just like his his go-to way of operating. But right after his confrontation with Luke, the first time he actually encounters Luke in Bespin, and they have their sword fight where he cuts off his hand and, you know, I am your father, that, that famous scene. And then Luke drops down and is is rescued by Lando and Leia in the Millennium Falcon. And then the Millennium Falcon gets away from the Star Destroyer because R2-D2 reactivates the hyperdrive. And it's this moment of failure of his staff. And you can see Admiral Piet basically sweating bullets in that moment, right when the hyperdrive escapes, because it's he would be the one who would be responsible for that failure to not capture the Millennium Falcon. But Vader, as it goes away, he has this moment where I think that encounter with Luke sparked something inside of him, and he doesn't just kill Admiral Piet. It's this moment of letting go of that hatred and anger and the the dark side, and it's just, just this little fuel and this hint of him coming back to the light. And I think that that really exemplifies how fatherhood for Vader is his trigger to not be evil, which is kind of cool. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting dynamic there. And um, it's been a long time since I've seen these movies. If I remember correctly, when, when Vader finally dies, he sacrifices himself to help save Luke, right? When they're fighting Emperor Palpatine or something like that? Exactly, yeah. Okay. So I did remember pretty well. I'm proud yeah. of myself and names. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, uh, it's the point you make is interesting because I never thought about like 
I don't think I've watched those movies since I've had a kid. So I never, definitely never thought about it from the, the fatherhood perspective. Um, and I haven't watched them enough for that to have just been ever present in my mind through the process. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that, you know, if you think you've lost everything, it's kind of like, what, what is there to live for? Like, why, why not just give up? And, you know, in his case, he goes to the dark side, you know, you see stories all the time of, of people, if they lose their, their spouse or their kids or both, you know, they turn to vices and stuff like that and ruin their life that way, basically, instead of having po- something positive to live for. It's like when you lose that, but when you, when you have that, when you have, um, and, you know, it can be different with a spouse because, like, if you have trouble in a relationship, that can be different than having a child and having, you know, concerns with taking care of them. Um, there's just a different level of, um, like, unquestioned sacrifice if you're even a decent parent. So, it you know, it's interesting you make that point that it, just knowing that he actually, his kids didn't die, that they still exist ticks that little change in him that makes him have to start questioning his choices and stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, I had never thought about that before, but that's a, that's an interesting point with it. And yeah, I mean, ultimately he ends up making the sacrifice to, um, to save his son. Yeah. yeah sorry. I got slightly distracted there and then was no unable to talk anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that kind of gets to the other half of looking at this, which is from Luke's perspective also, because Luke grew up thinking his father was dead and idolizing his father. And, you know, in the very first Star Wars movie, anytime someone mentions his father, he's like, you know, my dad, huh? Huh? You know, he's very excited about who is, who he thinks of his dad as. And he then learns that, whoa, my dad isn't dead at all. In fact, he's this evilest guy in the world, but his belief in his father as a good person is really what essentially in the end brings him back, you know? And it's, I think one of the defining moments for Luke is in that final showdown, a, he, you know, him and Darth Vader are having their sword fight and the emperor's like, ha yes, kill him. And Luke finally realizes, no, I'm not going to do this. And he throws away his lightsaber and he says, I'm a Jedi like my father before me. And it's that little moment of believing in his father, regardless of what his father has done, and believing in that nugget of goodness in him that helps bring Anakin back, finally. So I I think that even though we can't look at Darth Vader as uh, an example of a good father by any single metric that exists, he's, (laughs) I think, tells us a lot about fatherhood and the kind of that the strength of it did luke's aunt and uncle who he lived with did they know what became of his father or did they just think that he kind of disappeared that's not really clear because they knew that his father was a jedi they Mm -hmm. knew that he was a hero in the clone wars and all of that but i don't think that anyone really knew that Anakin Skywalker became Darth Vader. That was a very tightly held secret that very few people knew as far as I understand. And I don't think that 
they would have known that um, his father was Darth Vader. I think they just knew his father was a Jedi who fought in a lot of battles and had a, a lot of adventures, um, that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, there's yeah. father number one. Father one. <laughs> Uh, so I guess I'll bring up a father. Um, I hadn't really thought about this a whole lot ahead of time. Um, but as we were talking, I was thinking about some, like, obviously you, you picked one of the ones from your favorite, one of your favorite properties, Star Wars. Yeah. We even talked about, uh, an odd one from another favorite property. Um, so, you know, I was thinking like, then I thought instead of going, uh, with the odd, you know, like when I just think of a, of a fictional father, the first person I thought about was Danny Tanner from Full House, Bob Saget. Um, but then when I was thinking more, and I'll, I'll talk about Bob Saget or Danny Tanner a little bit, but, um, when I was thinking about, okay, well, if I think about what do I really like, where can I find a father figure? My favorite property as a kid was Ninja Turtles. And you have a great father figure there with Splinter. And it's interesting there too, because depending on the origin story, which changes somewhat, like it's still basically the same, but it changes somewhat depending on which iteration you're looking at. Sometimes the story is that the turtles are literally his reincarnated kids and he's reincarnated into the rat. No way. I had no idea. Yeah, that, that's one of the origin stories. Like the current comic book, that's the origin story of it. So they they exist like he was Hamato Yoshi in the past in Japan and he was killed by Urokusaki for uh, supposedly betraying the Foot Clan he escaped, uh, Orokusaki killed his wife and he escaped with his sons. Her dying wish was that he basically protect them rather than seeking vengeance because basically seeking out violence could only create more violence. So he escapes with them. They have however much time living a life away from everything before the Foot Clan track them down and execute all of them. So then they're reincarnated as the rat and the turtles and um, in in this iteration, April is working as a, as an intern in Baxter Stockman's lab, and they're just lab animals there that they're doing different tests on. And then she's there just working or whatever, and uh, members of the Foot Clan break in to steal something, and they're going to kill her. They're, they're trying to steal data, and they're going to kill her. And Splinter actually, as the rat still, manages to alert her enough and actually gives her, like, the file that they're looking for. And she is, is able to escape barely with her life. And Splinter is trying to rescue the turtles. He gets them out. They get exposed to the mutagen. And then Old Hob, who's a character in, in this iteration, but not in other ones, uh, is just, like, an alley cat that's coming and going to eat them, basically. And Splinter slashes one of, or bites one of his eyes, I think, and um, blinds, one, you know, blinds him in one eye. And, but they all get exposed to the mutagen, and Splinter ends up saving three of the turtles, but the fourth turtle, Raphael, gets separated from them. So then, like, he comes into, like, you know, human-like being without anybody else around him, so he's kind of lost uh, and can't remember everything, uh, whereas Splinter is with the other turtles. Uh, and then Hob is, like, an enemy of theirs, and, you know, they, there's been well over 100 issues now uh, just of the main series of that, so there's a lot more dynamics to what's going on. Um, and, and in other iterations, you know, sometimes Splinter is Hamato Yoshi's pet rat and, you know, the turtles are just kind of a coincidence, but then he raises them as his children. 
Um, either way, he's he's making the choice to like one, he is their father reincarnated, and the other, he's uh, choosing to act as a father figure. Uh, but in either case, it's still the same dynamic where he's um, he's you know disciplining them, training them, like he's really developing them to to be their best. And uh, the constant sacrifices, uh, and often ones that go unspoken, being a parent, where it's hard for you to do, and it, it does, you know, like the old cliche, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Like, oftentimes as a parent, like having to be, uh, whether it be disciplinary or making hard choices for your kids that they don't like or stuff like that, it really is true because you just want to make your kids happy. Um, but when you have to do things that take away from their happiness because you know that it would really lead to, you know, bad parenting and, you know, develop bad kids, then it's hard. Hmm. Um, but so he is, he is a really good father figure. Um, and I really do love the current iteration of the turtles with how they've developed that and explored that they kind of had, you know, went through the, the original, you know, this version of the origin story in it. And then like it developed so many different ways. And eventually in the story, they defeat shredder and kill him. Uh, Splinter takes over the Foot Clan, so then there's this dynamic of with the Turtles of you know how how do they reconcile their loyalty to their father with believing that what he's doing is wrong. Hmm. You know, he in trying to do what's right in many ways ends up um, kind of leaning away from prioritizing his family, but in the end, kind of realizes some of his errors and comes back from that. And the end of the first hundred issues is him sacrificing his life actually to reincarnate Shredder to stop this greater evil that would end up like destroying everything. So you have like a lot of different dynamic that ends ultimately in sacrificing himself to save his family, even though it, it that sacrifice still causes them harm. And the next story arc after his sacrifice is basically the turtles fragment because they're all processing it different ways and they don't have that link to keep them all together at that time interesting yeah so the the origin that i was familiar with is the one from the original teenage mutant ninja turtles movie from 1990 or whatever it was 1991 where he's more of like an adopted father and when you mentioned um splinter the word that came to mind was mentor and i think that he really acts as like the the mentor figure because he's not only just being a father but he's being their teacher and trainer right because he t he teaches them the ways of the ninja and teaches them how to be ninjas in in addition to being that father so it he i think exemplifies that father as a teacher type of uh of character mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah and you know I Making that point, reflecting on him a little bit more, one of the things that I think makes him such a good father character is that he's teaching them something they need to know. You know, whether or not you can say that they need to know how to be ninjas, like, where would the story be if they weren't? So we're just going to well, sure, presume yeah. they need to know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then outside of that, he, he recognizes their differences and their strengths and their weaknesses and their personalities. And throughout it, when they the Turtles conflict as brothers, he's often reminding them to kind of recognize and respect the differences that they have. You know, like a lot of times they think Mikey's not being serious enough, but he's a, you know, a gentle hearted character that takes things in a different way. And he uses the, you know, like the levity to, to cope with his emotions. 
um, you know, Raphael gets angry, you know, even though his actions may be wrong, understanding who he is and the struggles that he has there, you know, if, if somebody's in that place, you don't want to overreact to them not composing themselves correctly because they're trying, they're struggling with it, you know, mm-hmm. and all of them in their different ways. So, so there's really a lot of good dynamic to his character as a father, um, a lot of, um, and once again, in, in this newer series, I like that. I think in older series, he's always just been kind of like um, on a pedestal, sort of like he doesn't do wrong. And in this newer series, like it's ran a hundred issues in the main storyline, but then there's always been like a secondary title going. So that means there's over two hundred issues of the IDW Ninja Turtle comic. Hmm. So his character has developed more and differently. You know, it's it's cool that they've done that, and he's he's not perfect. He's he's flawed like any human is even though he's not human he's a rat but um he's (laughs) flawed like any person would be and i think you know as parents and as as kids too like that's one thing that we have to remember like as parents we shouldn't set ourselves or anybody else up on a pedestal because nobody's perfect and if you do that then when that person falters a kid might not know how to handle that and it it can really um you know jade them or disenchant them on things um, and as a kid, like we should know that, like nobody is perfect. And if we, if we set somebody up as a hero and then when they fall, we condemn them for being human, then we're not, we're not learning the right things and we're not treating people the right way either. And we're just setting ourselves up for, um, like learning the wrong lessons basically. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, that's a good one. Yeah. And one I wouldn't have ever even thought of, but it makes sense given your, <laughs> the, things you're interested in nobody ever thinks of the rat yep so as i was thinking about this one father that really stood out to me well it's actually not one father it's actually two and that is superman's fathers Mm -hmm. because he has both pa kent and he has jor-el his kryptonian father and they both impacted his life in very different and important ways and uh, first of all, Jor-El knew that Krypton was dying and did what he could to save his only son. And he essentially kind of it gave him up for adoption in a lot of ways and sent him to Earth kind of in the hopes that this is this is the only thing, this is the best thing I can do for him, given everything going on in our world and our life that sending him away is really the best thing. And I think that that takes quite a lot of um, giving and sacrifice to realize and to be able to actually go through with. So he kind of like made that ultimate sacrifice because I, I think that many, many people knowing that you know, the earth is about to explode would want to keep their family tight, you know, and just decide, okay, we're, 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 we're going to go out as a family and we're going to stay together as long as possible and enjoy being together as a family for as long as we possibly can. Like that's, that's what we're going to do. That's how we're, we're going to go out. And he then made that next step of, no, I'm, I'm going to give my son a chance by giving, essentially sending him away to be um, raised by others. And and then you pair that with Pa Kent, who is kind of like maybe the, the ultimate 
good father, you know, like he, he's a, a father that in the stories has always just been really good. Like he's been the one who instilled all of the compassion and understanding and um, humility that Superman has. So, you know, he, I think Superman has these pair of fathers that both influenced him and impacted him in very different ways, but both in ways that made him who he is and made him essentially the best, right? I mean, in my mind, Superman is, is the best, right? He, he's just, he's the, the best hero. He's, he's the one that everyone looks up to. He's the one that is the, the model of how to be. And I really think that it's a result of his two fathers. It, it definitely creates a lot of interesting uh, possibility for stories as well. But uh, the the sacrifice his actual father makes, like you said, it's hard to do. But it's a little easier when you know you're just going to die. <laughs> because I'll tell you why. Um, not that I've ever had <laughs> yeah, to die. Yeah, tell me why. <laughs> but, um, so w- when my son was two, he I was cleaning the kitchen floor. He climbed up on a chair. The chair tipped over and he fell. And I was like, as he was starting to climb up on the chair, I'm jumping up to try to stop him. But sometimes it, it just doesn't happen like that, you know? So he falls, he hits his head on the floor. It pops his forehead wide open. There's blood literally everywhere instantly. One of the most horrible things I've ever been through. So then I have to pick him up. And because I was cleaning, like I wasn't wearing a belt. So like the shorts I were wearing were loose. So I'm literally like picking him up, trying to staunch the flow of the blood. I'm having to hold on to my shorts because they're, they won't stay on on their own. And I call for my wife, um, you know, the dealing with all the blood and stuff like that was overwhelming for her. So she basically, she drove us to the emergency room and then she went back to get me clothes to change into and stuff like that. And, um, like I remember sitting in the emergency room playing with him with his forehead was open by like half an inch. It was oh, gosh. wide open. And he's just as a little two year old, just, just like at that point, the pain had subsided. The shock had subsided. He just wanted to play, you know? So it was a really tough experience. But like the, the, one of the things I learned about that is, and everybody's going to be somewhat different and can handle different levels of things. But when you have to act, you can, definitely set aside all the emotion of it while you're acting and like in that case like once we were past the having to act then like i was emotionally like torn apart by the whole situation because like then i had to kind of deal with everything that i put aside feeling through the whole thing but so i can see where you know superman's actual dad making the decision to do that like it would have been a lot harder if it's like okay send them off to we don't know what but now like we have like months until we die or something like that would be harder. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like, he's sending him off as the planet was, was dying. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like that's, you know, not to like obviously belittle the sacrifice or anything, but um, that just made me think of that, that, you know, when you have to act on something, it's amazing how much you're able to put aside all the things that like on the outside, when we lament on it, we can be like, well, that, that was really hard for this reason. But in reality, like it wasn't, as hard in that moment as you would think it was because all those, all the feelings behind it, you ha- you put them aside to act, you know? And then on the other side with Pa Kent, uh, you know, that willingness to, to make the sacrifice of being a parent for somebody that's not yours is something that not everybody's capable of doing. And being a parent is hard. It's hard to do that for kids that you did make. It's easier because 
there's you know different things involved there obviously but like there are a lot of people who have biological kids who won't do that for their kids so for somebody to do that for somebody that's not theirs and obviously in the superman story it's even weirder because it's like oh look this here's this kid in this weird thing that fell out of space yeah um so you know but once again it's not real so you just accept it but um you know there are plenty of people who do that in real life for kids that aren't theirs um i i have a friend uh you know like a twitter friend who uh has adopted two sets of siblings and they're her kids and have been her kids for a long time now and on top of that they're special needs kids and that's really hard you know that that's been you know she she set herself up for a difficult life because she felt compelled to help others and that's not an easy thing to do yeah um you know my my little sister her current husband isn't the father of her five kids. You know, she it's she got divorced and, you know, remarried. And for somebody to step into that, like, that's it takes a lot, you know. Um, take on five kids that aren't biologically yours and treat them like they matter in the way that, you know, our kids matter to us. So Yeah, the the Mon Pa Kent angle of it really brings to me this message that there's lots of ways to start a family. And of course the, the traditional way is biological, a man and a woman conceive a child and they have the child and then that's their family. But you know, my wife and I, we had a lot of struggles um, to have this child and many, many of the various types of setbacks that people experience uh, when it comes to fertility, we experienced. And um, we were at the point where we thought our, play, play, our way forward was going to be adoption. And we actually went through the entire process of getting um, set up and reviewed and approved to um, be adoptive parents. And that process really taught me that families are started in so many different ways and that there's it, it kind of it, it doesn't matter how it started because the end result is the same you have a, a, a parent and a child and that relationship is the same regardless of how it's initiated whether it is biologically conceived or whether it literally falls out of the sky into right in front of your truck it's still that end result is the same that end result relationship is exactly the same of of a parent and and a child and so the superman story i think has it stands out to me a lot more having been through a lot of struggles to start a family and having to look at alternate ways to start a family and learn that the starting the family is the most important thing and is going to be the most rewarding thing regardless of how how we get there and so i think after what we've gone through the superman story that that adoptive nature of his relationship with his father that means a whole lot more to me now and it stands out to me as something that is um, really crucial and critical. And it, it shows me essentially Superman had two fathers, his biological father and his adoptive father. And both of them 
loved him so much and cared for him in, in different ways and were such important parts of his life and both were incredibly valid and important and he wouldn't be the hero that he is without both of those influences. Yeah, um, I've shared this with you before too. My my dad and my stepmom adopted. Um, so my dad had three biological kids, but by the time they adopted, um, my youngest sister was an uh, older teenager at that point. She was you know not too far off from being an adult, and my stepmom didn't have kids before their marriage, and they they tried to it didn't work, and you know they ended up adopting. Um, so it it was interesting seeing a different dynamic with that, where you know my dad already raised three kids. So he was doing it for, you know, for my stepmom's desire to have a kid. Um, but to see like how, how that's played out over, I mean, she's almost 18 now. Um, so to see that play out over, you know, her growing up and everything has been, it's been cool seeing that, you know, obviously they, they had, they had different levels of, of parental experience going into it, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's been, it's been cool. And just like you said, like, uh, families come together in lots of different ways and it's really about making that choice to, to be a family. Yeah, I think that really, that's that's a really good way to put it, that making the choice to be a family is, I think, the most crucial thing to starting a family, far more than the the biology involved and all that. But it's like that decision and that choice is really what makes a strong family, makes a start of a strong family. Yeah. Awesome. Well, back to Danny Tanner, I guess, for a okay. moment. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think he's a, like, he's the first one I thought of when I thought of like, you know, TV dads, like a good, you know, like an example of like, uh, just like a kind of purely good TV dad, right? Like Full House. I haven't watched it in forever. So like, I don't really remember for sure, but it was, it was obviously a show meant like aimed for kids and families. Um, but you know, Danny Tanner was like the, just the epitome of, of kindness, right? Yeah, definitely. It's funny. I I didn't think about him at all when I was proposing this topic, but then when you mentioned him, right, when we were thinking of getting going, I thought, of course, yeah, it makes perfect sense. And, you know, there's a lot of TV dads I'm sure we could think of, especially just starting from there. You can think about related shows, you know, like TGIF, there's Family Matters, and there's you know, lots of other shows. But this just, I, I think, uh, was a little more present in my mind because Bob Saget just passed away recently. Mm-hmm. And um, hopefully that wasn't a shock to you. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> no, but For, um, for real life. <laughs> But I, I think what what stands out to me with that is, you know, we, we all know that Bob Saget went from doing this squeaky clean family show to being a kind of like crude comedian. You know, it's like he he pushed the boundaries with with naughtiness, if you will, mm-hmm. um, in his comedy career after that. And you know, a lot of times you see people do that. It's like, oh well, yeah, they did this like kitty thing, and now they're like lashing out the other way. But there's a di- big difference between him and a lot of other people you've seen do that. That just kind of seem like they don't know what to do with themselves, and they never really have it under control. But the one thing that stands out to me is like with him passing away and everybody reflecting on him, is he really like lived out? He he was that kind person, you know. So he wasn't just an actor pretending to be kind, like he lived that out in his life and the, the impact that he clearly had on people, um, as everybody expressed their, their feelings on him when, when he left us, it, it carried on that legacy. I think it's really cool to see that. Cause there's plenty of, of other examples we can come up with of people who portrayed that and then 
as life went on, came out to be as not like that as possible. And, you know, with Bob Saget, he got out of that show and he never had a facade of being what that was. Like right away, he's making some dirty jokes in his comedy. You know, (laughs) it's like the antithesis of what the comedy level of uh, Full House was. But in the end, you see that like he really was at the heart of who Danny Tanner was, you know, that, that kind, caring person, like that's who he was. I think that's pretty cool that, you know, like I just said earlier, you know, you don't want to prop people up as idols. He's an example where you saw him be himself and he lived out and showed his kindness Mm -hmm. through his whole life. Yeah, that is great. One thing I really like about him and his character is he's a competent caring father (laughs) and i think so often in tv there's this like trope and it's even on like commercials for products of the like clueless incompetent dad like oh i don't know how to change my baby's clothes or oh i have to change the diaper what do i do you know or oh no the baby made a mess and i'm out of i can't handle it because i'm a stupid man (laughs) you know like there's so much of that and it's just is it's nonsense right it's and it's uh that's that's what i found is our my experience is that this has been a very much a, a team effort you know keeping this baby alive for the last two weeks and i'm totally falling down on my half of that duty by recording right now for an hour <laughs> but it's it has very much been a team effort you know and this idea that, oh, dads are incompetent or, you know, not very good is, I think it really sucks. It's stupid. It's, and it's harmful. But I think that Danny Tanner is an example of the opposite of an engaged father who is, you know, trying to be competent at all times and really putting his, his best into it, into being a good father for his children. And so I, I think he is a, a great example you know, of, of fatherhood. Yeah. It's like the, uh, the mentality of, you know, prior generations of like the, you know, the father's the provider, but then they don't really have any culpability beyond that. Like we're, we're far past that. And anybody that still holds on to that is just being irresponsible ultimately. You know, another father figure I thought of that's uh, not a, the best example of a father figure is Homer Simpson. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's, you know, the buffoonish type of father. Uh, and then obviously it's pretty outlandish being in the Simpsons. Um, and, you know, one thing that stood out to me with what you just said is throughout The Simpsons, it showed him overcoming being a buffoon to be a decent dad. And so, like, you know, it, it, it I guess it still kind of taught, like, heartfelt lessons about, you know, putting putting yourself aside. But, of course, like, he had to consistently ruin everything first. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I think that he actually is a really good example of he's someone who continually for as much as he is just the buffoon figure, he puts in the effort to overcome his buffoonery. Yeah. After like, you know, 27 minutes of uh, no effort, the last few minutes, he (laughs) gets it all together. Yeah. But it's never like the story just ends with him. Oh, he was a buffoon and somebody else had to come clean up the mess. You know, it always ends with somehow he ends up doing the right thing or doing what he has to, to, 
um, clean up his buffoonish mess. So, yeah, and oftentimes it, ending it with honesty and vulnerability of like, I know I'm not the best at, at being a dad. I know I'm not the best at this thing or that thing. You know, like him and Lisa is always a good example where he he has to constantly admit, like, I know I'm not good at giving you what you need or always knowing what to do, but like, I'm going to keep on trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that he is a, a really good father figure along those lines. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to actually recommend we stop this one a, a little early. Cause I think I, I need, <laughs> I, uh, I think I need to get um, back to do my half of, of the duty. I think my wife has had a, a lot of patience and is probably <laughs> close to the, I need some freaking help <laughs> stage. So I would like to go and uh, to give that to her and to my son, Max. You go do that. You enjoy your son. I'm, I'm uh, happy for you guys. And um, and yeah, so everybody listening, you know where to find us. You don't need an explanation. We got babies to tend to. That's right. So let's, let's get to that baby tendon. <laughs> All right. All right. Talk to you later. Later. Later.